Well, good evening. evening. It is good to have our number out with us for our evening half of our worship service. And I hope everyone had a, a wonderful day. They're spending time with family and friends and, and most assuredly gathering together for a cer- cer- second time to worship our Heavenly Father. <coughs> this evening, I was, uh, well, this morning we, talk about a ri- we talked about a risen Savior. This evening, I want us to consider after a risen Savior. Therefore, the term service comes to mind. As this morning, you remember that I said that we serve a risen Savior, right? That's, that's kind of what I said. This evening, I want us to look at our service. I want us to look at what, what, what we're doing, what we plan on doing, and look in the past, as a matter of fact, what we have done. Not necessarily in that order. We're going to look at uh, some disciples, actually, who are later to be apostles, and we're going to look at something significant that they were doing immediately after Christ was risen. And Christ, in a matter of speaking, he rebukes them and restores a certain individual who not necessarily betrayed him, but definitely turned his back on him. We're going to look at Peter. And we're going to look at the restoration of Peter. We may mention that this morning in Bible class. And hopefully we didn't forget a little bit of that discussion. So as we open up this evening to the Gospel of John, we're going to be in the 21st verse. The Gospel of John in the 21st verse. And if you have something to mark your Bible here, we're going to return back to the Gospel of John in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, toward the end of this lesson. But if you have something to mark your book, mark your Bible there. All right. So as we look at uh, the Gospel of John in the 21st verse, we see something happening. We see, we see something odd, if you will. Now Christ, keep in mind, he has died on the cross. He has been resurrected, and he has shown himself to, to, to some disciples. So as we read in chapter 21 in verse 1, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat that they might Caught that they that that night they caught nothing. All right, let's stop right there in verse three. We see an echo through time, do we not? We see full circle, if you will. Where did Christ find Peter, James, and John? Where did he find them? He found them fishing. That was their profession. They, they found him fished up. They found them fishing. They were actually clean, mending, they were cleaning and mending their nets because they were done. Remember, they, they couldn't catch anything. They'd been toiling all night, and here they caught nothing. And here comes this Jesus, gets in Peter's boat, lets out a little piece, and taught the people. And then he tells people, let out a little piece for a catch. You remember that? I hope we remember that because we're going to see a reflection of that right here. Peter remembers it. So here we see Christ. Just been resurrected. So we see all these disciples that was just mentioned in verse 2. Well, let's just go fishing. You might say, well, well, the disciples went fishing. 
Yeah, but they get a little bit of rebuking, do they not? They get uh, not necessarily scorned, but redirected. Because in their minds, the work was finished. Christ had not yet given his great commission. He had not given his last commission to his apostles yet. He hasn't done that. So here we see these disciples go fishing. Well, let's just return back to the sea and catch fish. I can just see Christ looking at him and shaking his head. Do you remember what I, this Christ speaking to those three men, do you remember what I told you that I was going to make you catchers of? What in fish was it? Christ said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. From now on, you will catch men. Those words slipped out of their mind at this point. It did. So we see them go and go fishing, and what do they catch? Nothing. All night they caught nothing. And in verse 4, But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Keep in mind, this is, this is a stumbling block for so many. Keep in mind, Jesus is looking different. He looks different after he was resurrected. He doesn't look, uh, he doesn't look like the same. He does not resemble himself at all. He sounds the same. He does sound the same. But he does not look the same. All right? Excuse me. So, when morning had come, Jesus was standing on the bank. But the disciples didn't see that it was Jesus. And that was the morning, tolling all night, fishing. And they catch nothing. Then Jesus said to them, Children! Do you have any food? They said to him, No. So why not? You're fishing out there in the water. Why don't you have any food? Because we haven't caught a single thing all night long. Again, an echo of the time of when Christ saw them all night long. Right? They fished and fished and they let their nets out and not, not dragging in one fish. And here we go, verse 6. I could just see, if I could picture Peter's mind, I can see the little light bulb. You know, like the little cartoons, the little light bulb goes ding, and it comes on over the little character. You can see Peter do that right here. Then he said to them, cast the net on the right of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast now, and they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Jesus Christ did it again. Do you think Peter's little mind went, ding, this is very familiar. Because previous, they had to have two boats to collect all the fish, and they began to sink. The catch was so big. But see, we see the fish being hauled in. That's where even being broke. They were blessed with that as well. And in verse 7, Therefore, that disciple whom, loved, whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. That's an odd statement, is it not? Keep in mind, who was walking on the water, coming to the boat, and the men thought it was a spirit, thought it was a ghost. That was Jesus, remember that? And Peter said, to Jesus, command me to come to you and I'll do it. And Christ says, let it be so. Remember, Peter had that great faith to walk on that water. 
But this time, what does he do? He plunges into the sea. It doesn't matter. He's swimming to his Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, and for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. So we see Peter jumping into the water, so excited to see or hear that it's the Lord at the bank to go unto him. So he just go ahead and jumps in the water. The other disciples, John was with them, of course. Somebody's got to drag those fish in, right? Somebody, it'll be wasteful if we just let them go. So here we see the fish being dragged in by the little boat by the other disciples. And in verse 9, Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, a fish laid on it, and bread. Huh. Notice something. Did you, did you notice something significant there? Do you think God blessed him still? Do you think God still provided for his son even after resurrection? Most assuredly. So when Jesus said to them, uh, Children, do, do you have any food? What he's saying is, Have you called anything? Have, have you called anything? They said, Well, no, of course not. He says, let, let your net out on the right, right? And they catch it. Was it a... Uh, well, what did, they, did we get a measurement there? Where did it go? And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire on it. Uh, there it is in verse 11. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And altogether there were so many that the net was not broken. That's a whole bunch of fish. That's a whole bunch of fish that he just caught. At the command of Jesus again, laying that net down. <coughs> but previous to that, they saw the coals and the fish laid on it. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. So in other words, bring your fish and have a meal with me. So the disciples sat down and have a meal with Jesus. And in verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Now this is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Now this is, this is so important. This is so important at this, at this restoration of Peter. Now, put your memory banks on. Do you remember uh, as Jesus has just been arrested and the folks there standing in the, the courtyard, if you will, uh, Peter is there with them. And folks take notice of Peter. This one young girl says, Hey, ain't you the man? Ain't you the man with Jesus? He says, No. And again, aren't you one of his disciples? <laughs> no. The third time he curses, I don't know the man. And if you'll take a notice instant, if you do, study that very closely. Peter and Jesus lock eyes at that instance. As soon as that rooster crows. They lock eyes. And Peter 
is exceedingly disappointed in himself. He goes out and weeps bitterly. So here we see Peter having a chance to make it right in Jesus' eyes. So here, after they had just eaten, Simon Peter, uh, he said to Simon Peter, Simon, son, son of Barjona, do you love me more than these? That's a wonderful question, is it not? Jesus Christ looking at you and asking you, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him again, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Bar-Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Bar-Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time. Why do you think he was grieved? It's like, what? why are you asking me a third time? It hadn't set in yet. It hadn't really set in yet of what he had done and what the opportunity awaits him right now. The opportunity awaits you and I as well. When we have shortcomings in the eyes of God, whenever we fail him, in a matter of speaking through his word, he's asking, do you love me? When we sin, we need repentance. When we fall short, we need restoration. Peter is getting restored. He asked him that third time, Do you love me, Simon, son of Barjona? And Peter's grieved in the third time. He said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying of what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. You notice he did not say, well, keep fishing. Keep doing what you were doing before I gave you commands. Now he's saying what? Follow me. And those words echo through time for you and I. To follow me. Alright? Like I said, <clears throat> keep your finger there in uh, the Gospel of John at the end of chapter 20 there. So as we turn back over. So the command there from Christ, again, three times... Peter got restored because of the three times he asked him, the three times he denied him, right? He denied him three times, and he told Jesus Christ that he loved him three times. He told him, you know more than anybody else knows that I love you. And then he tells him to follow me. He tells Peter to follow me. In the first epistle of John, that's 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Many of us know this verse by heart. So what Jesus Christ is saying, walk just as I have walked. He tells you and I to walk just as I walk. For 2,000 years, he's been telling his disciples to walk just as I have walked. Learn what type of person Jesus Christ was and be obedient to those commands. 
Show him that you love him by those obedient acts, and you can walk in the light just as God himself is in the light. Now, does that mean that we're going to be impossible to sin? No, it's not what that says. A child of God cannot sin. It does not give us permission to sin. It gives us an, uh, an escape out. Just because you've been immersed or baptized for the remission of sins, just because you have fulfilled that faithful act, does not mean that you're automatically saved for an eternity. Because you can lose your salvation. You can turn your back on Jesus Christ and be lost on judgment day with that greater condemnation waiting for you. I have to say that at this point. Because if we're not walking this earth, as God would have us to work, uh, walk, excuse me, working and walking, same thing. So in our idea of our works and our faith together, James 2 tells us what? you got to have both. you got to have both. So we look here in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 7. We need to ask ourselves, is the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed me from my sins? <clears throat> According to God's word, can we answer yes? I seriously hope so. Do we have that fellowship with God? I seriously hope so. Are we a child of God? Again, we become a child of God through immersion or baptism for the remission of sins. So without that act, we can't even come to God. For Does Jesus not tell us in John 14, 6, I am the way, truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through or by me. Is that not what he teaches us? It is. We see the John writing to us in the seventh verse of chapter 1. Walk in the light. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleansed us from all sin. Did you hear what was just said? You might say, well, I am the worst person and I am not worthy of being saved. Well, with that attitude, I would say so. Because think of this. Whatever you have done in your life, is it worse than killing the son of God? With our feeble minds, with our human minds and our human emotions as we unknowingly measure up sin. Now keep in mind, sin is sin, right? Lying is equal to murder. Murder is equal to stealing. In God's eyes, it's sinfulness. And it destroys his children. He hates it. So whatever you have done in your life, is it worse than killing Jesus Christ by lawless hands? Remember what Peter, is the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2, right? What does he teach? Well, let's turn there real quick. Acts chapter 2. Keep your, uh, keep your place, we'll have all your fingers stuck in your Bible. Uh, keep your place there in 1 John. So as we turn back to Acts chapter 2. He says it in verse 23. Again, he's talking to the Jews. He's talking to God's chosen people. And this is what he says. Speaking of Jesus Christ, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, 
you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. That's a real easy way of saying, a real sugar-coated way of saying, you murdered him. You murdered the Son of God. The one who Jehu, our Father, put up on this earth to show us the way how to live, you murdered him. Right? They weren't walking in the light as God himself is in the light. For Christ told them, if you would have loved me, if you would have loved my Father, you would have loved me. Therefore I proceeded forth from the Father, and the things that I show you are from the Father. But he told them plainly, you're serving the devil, not God. So there in verse 23, Peter tells them that you have murdered the Son of God. And it really gets to them in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What a wonderful sermon. And keep in mind, that's the real short cliff note verses, right? There's a lot more in that sermon that's, that's being spoken and being instructed and being taught than we have time for tonight. But this point here, I want us to take a look at what not working after Christ, going fishing, returning back to the water, as Christ has given you something to do. When they heard those things in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do to get rid of the sin? Peter said, for the first time ever, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the... Uh, be, be baptized. Well, let me start on. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So why were you immersed? For the remission of sin. For the remission of, for the getting rid of, for the washing of your soul. So the presence of God can be there. If those sins are still there, the presence of God will not be there. Therefore, remember the parable of the unclean spirit returning. The person turned back to their sins. They failed to put presence of God in their heart. And that worst case, that man's second case was worse off than before. Because that one spirit brought seven back more with him. When we fail to fill our hearts with God, we leave the door open for Satan. Let's shut the door on Satan and keep God in our hearts by getting forgiveness of our sins. But John writes in John chapter 2, in verse 1. Notice what he says. Or oh, the gospel of John. The second. I won't get it right in a minute. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Notice what John says. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. After he went into heaven, after he ascended up into those clouds, and those men in Galilee in Acts chapter 1 seen him ascend up into heaven, he took his rightful place at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for you and I. 
allowing his blood to cleanse us of those sins. If and only if we have that access. Then your mind may go, your mind may go back to John 3.16. Well, of course, don't God just love me? you got to remember, add 17 with that, remember? I told us we need to couple 16 and 17 forever. We need to put those two verses together like they're one sentence and one thought. Now, I understand that thought carry on, but the world says, oh, John 3.16. Remember 3.17 as well. Might is there. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might, M-I-G-H-T, be saved. John writes to you and I, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, the allowance, the, the allowance of escape, not the permission, but the allowance of an escape. What that says is, when we fall short, we have a way out. We can get forgiveness. We can be redeemed. We can be restored. We can stand justified before our Heavenly Father on Judgment Day. And that is only available through a risen Savior who has ascended into heaven, who is our spot-free sacrifice. Now, let's turn over to Revelation. Chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. That S, that S still wants to poke up every now and then. <laughs> it was just habit. That's all it was. Revelation. No S. One, one revelation from Christ, not multiples. Revelation chapter 20. Let's look at the 10th verse real quick. And then we're going to skip down a few verses, but we're going to look at the 10th verse. Before we read the 10th verse, I want to ask you a question. Who's the adversary of God? Do you know who that is? I see some heads shaking. I, say, well, I, know, I know who the adversary is. Well, hopefully. Adversary of God is the devil. Period. Right? He's the adversary of God. He's been made mention of this in the scripture like that roaring lion, right? Seeking whom he may devour. That's people. The old devil. What's the outcome of the old devil? Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Right? The devil is going to be tormented day and night as he's going to be bound in that lake of fire for an eternity. Right? That's, that's, where, that's the outcome of Satan. That fallen angel that disobeyed God. That sounds familiar. It's going, to find, it's going to sound real familiar in the next few minutes. Let's look at the judgment seat of Christ. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead. Small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Let's stop right there before we read verse 15. 
After Judgment Day, there is a no need for death in Hades anymore. You might think, huh? What are you talking about? Because our soul abides forever. At this instant, every person has ceased from breathing. At this point, we look at 2 Peter, referring to a judgment day, where Jesus Christ comes back the second time. Keep in mind, he ascended this morning. We, we discussed that this morning about him ascending into heaven. Now we're talking about him coming back again, where everything will be destroyed by fire. Well, the elements themselves will melt with fervent heat, is what Peter says in his second epistle. So everyone has ceased from breathing. Everyone has succumbed to Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed for one man once to die and then the judgment. Everyone is no longer living. So there's no longer need for death in Hades, so they're going to be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And in verse 15, it needs to prick our curiosity. It needs to prick our self-judgment. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You might think, well, that lake of fire is designed for Satan. That's designed for anyone who has disobeyed God and created so much destruction who is just evil. And most assuredly it is. But do we remember Christ teaching those Jews who their father was. Do you remember those instructions from him? Well, that question was asked unto them, who's your father? First they say Abraham. No, they was rebuked there. Then they said God. No, they was rebuked there. And Christ told them that the devil, Satan is your father. And you serve him. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. What happens in that lake of fire? We learned that in verse 10. We just read it. Tormented day and night. Now I want us to think about that very long and hard because Jesus Christ came to this earth so that we may, that we may be saved from that. From that lake of fire. Tormented day and and not the word M-I-G-H-T comes to mind in John 3.17. It's up to us. It's up to you and I to make the conscious decision to get out of that boat, quit fishing, and follow Jesus Christ. Remember what Peter, James, John, and those other men decided to do? They decided to go fishing. Instead of doing the will of God through Christ's examples, they decided to go fishing. They thought the work was done. Their work hadn't even started yet. They had, they had yet to even begin their work. So we think within ourselves, the work has just gotten started. There's so much work to be done. Well, my bookmark can't cooperate here. It really is not. There it is. All right. John, chapter 20. I said we was going to go back. John, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. 
Do you think belief is important for our spirituality? Do you think our belief is important for our salvation? <laughs> Most assuredly. In the absence of belief, that's what faith is, is belief. In the absence of faith, we can't be believe, we can't believe, we can't understand, and we can't serve if we don't believe. Verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not written in this book. All right, as we have read verse 30, now back up. That's not how you're supposed to read. Back up anyway, verse 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Remember what Thomas said? He said, well, unless I see the Lord, and if I see the scars on his hand and this wound in his side, I'm not going to believe it's him. He'd seen him. He touched the scars. He put his hand in his side with a sword pierced him. Then he says those words. He says, my Lord and my God. That's what Thomas says. Christ says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Look at the very next statement. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Think about that for the next few minutes. Have you believed in Jesus Christ? Have you believed enough to be obedient to his word? Have you believed enough to stay strong and firm in your faith? Or have you jumped back in that boat, returned back to your worldly, worldly place in, in the world? Or have you continued in your spiritual walk with God through His Son? I want us to think about that. This morning and, and today we think about a risen Savior, but tomorrow is another day. It's been 2,000 plus years since Christ was resurrected. So we think about today. And we think about a Savior who has been risen. And this evening we have, we have thought about after that resurrection. Because we serve a risen Savior. What's our service look like? Has it been returned back to the boat or are we following Christ? What a wonderful time of self-examination. We know that there's a place reserved for those who are unfaithful. We just know that there's a place reserved for those who are faithful, for those who trust in God, believe in Him, and have everlasting life waiting for them. Well done, good and faithful servant. But now we always offer an opportunity to get right in the eyes of God. To look within ourselves and say, I have sinned, I have fallen short, and I need restoration. Christ is asking, do you love me? Three times he asked Peter. He's asking you tonight, do you love me? Do you need telling yes as we come forward, as we stand, as we sing the song of invitation?